Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. I'm Robin Colucci, and welcome to the Author's Corner. Today, I am very excited to introduce our guest, Carrie Bloxon. Carrie joined the Hachette Book Group in February of 2021 as Vice President of HBG's Diversity and Inclusion Programs and Strategy. Her objective, create a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable company with increased representation of people of color in HBG's leadership, workplaces, and publishing programs. Carrie was previously interim CEO and chief marketing officer at dosomething.org, the largest social impact organization for young people in the world. Under her leadership, Do Something received numerous social impact awards, including multiple Shorty Social Good and Digaday Awards, along with OMA Marketing Excellence, Civi, Polly, and Reed Awards. She was also named a top woman in PR honoree for social impact in 2020 from PR Newswire. Earlier, Carrie was vice president of marketing at HarperCollins for six years and launched a variety of audience development campaigns that contributed to multiple best-selling titles. Carrie's work was awarded the Future Book Award, and a Webby Shortlist nomination in 2016. She is the co-founder of CMOs for Good, an organization of marketing leaders who oversee social impact and a board member for Avenues for Justice, an alternative to incarceration program for youthful offenders that's located in New York City. And as our listeners might have figured out by now, Diversity and inclusion in publishing has become a topic that I feel very passionate about and want to keep a conversation going about this very important issue. I want to make sure it stays on people's radar. And I also am in a quest myself to gain a deeper understanding of some of the dynamics, challenges, past limitations, as well as future opportunities, not only for especially authors um, who are people of color, but also for publishing itself. I feel that moving aggressively towards greater diversity and inclusion ultimately will help to revive publishing and potentially give it a much more vigorous future. So I'm very excited to have Carrie today. We have a great conversation for you to tune into, and I hope that you will find it enlightening, informative, and inspiring. Enjoy. So Carrie, welcome to the Author's Corner. Well, thank you, Robin, for the opportunity for the platform to discuss my role. I'm so happy to be talking with you today. 
And I'm so happy to have you because this particular question of diversity and publishing is becoming more and more of a passion for me. And so I've been so looking forward to this interview. And let's just jump right in by having you share with us a little bit about your, even your position at Hachette, mm -hmm. which was created, mm -hmm. right, based on uh, staff input. And so can you tell us a little bit about your position and what led to that decision to create it? Like a little bit more about that and mm -hmm. maybe we go from there. Yeah, certainly. I think Hachette realized they had a lot of initiatives and things they needed and wanted to accomplish on the DEI front that are important not only for employees, but to their business bottom line. And DEI had been something that Hachette was focused on for many years. But in 2020, shortly after George Floyd's murder and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, Hachette had made public statements of support for racial equity and solidarity. And it was important to the CEO, the CEO is Michael Peach, and to the leadership team that Hachette worked toward a more intentional and actionable commitment and had strongly messaged this to all employees that increasing representation from people of color at senior levels, really at all levels, but a concerted effort at senior levels was one of Hachette's highest priorities. So my role, which is vice president of DNI or head of DNI, was critical for the company. And I think one way that shows Hachette is looking for meaningful change in my role is that it's I sit on the executive team. So I report into the SVP of HR, Andrea Weinzimmer, with the dotted line into Michael. And being on the executive team means I work in close partnership with HR, with legal, with the CMO, with the head of corporate communications, with many of the publishers, among others. And that gives me access to the senior most voices and allows me to best advocate for policy change at the corporate level. And so I find that to be a really intentional way of making sure that DEI is being addressed at the leadership level, which is, I think, really important. And in terms of what I hope to accomplish, I'm just so passionate about all things diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a better and more inclusive experience for people of color and underserved identities is just deeply important to me. I cannot express that enough. And when interviewing for this position, I believe that this was a rare opportunity where my core values and shared beliefs about this are aligned with what Hachette's business objectives are, which is to be a respected publisher that values diversity and nurtures talent and that books are essential to a thriving cultural landscape. And as such, a great equalizer in promoting healthy discourse in our society. I should probably also mention that I've been at Fichette for about three months. I think my three-month anniversary was last week. So I'm still new. I'm still onboarding in many ways. I'm still meeting people for the first time. I actually haven't been to the office yet because of COVID. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I've been doing everything remote, but I've spent the last three months doing a listening tour, just meeting with as many people as I can across departments, sitting in on subcommittee meetings with ER employee resource group meetings and getting an assessment of where people are and how they feel about the company and the pain points and the opportunities and the needs and gaps and observations as it relates to DEI 
And all of that is being distilled or aggregated into a specific DEI vision of which I'm working on. So to answer your question more specifically, because I know that was very top level, I'll be looking into things like salary equity, more career development opportunities, eliminating situations where microaggressions are most common. I am a person of color in publishing, and I know firsthand what the experience is like for people. And moreover, I'm a person of color in corporate America, and I know how emotionally exhausting the experience of feeling excluded and marginalized in the workplace feels like. So improving the base level of psychological safety and moving the needle on that tangibly is not only important for me, but something that I'm excited about. And so I'm looking forward to furthering DEI efforts externally as well, looking at ways to equitably support BIPOC and underrepresented authors, including BIPOC-owned bookstores, our vendors, our suppliers, our community partners who are invested in literacy, and importantly, our leadership. Does that answer your question? Well, it's such a big question. So I think, mm-hmm. I think you did a great job. <laughs> it was comprehensive, yes. It's very comprehensive, and it is a big question. And I think that that top-level view is really helpful to give our listeners just a, that big picture. But I want to jump over to another question that's related to what you were saying, because I was speaking recently with a young Black woman mm-hmm. who recently found a job in publishing. Her search was really interesting, right? <laughs> because... A big barrier, and it's not just her experience, but a big barrier to working in publishing is that the pay in general is low, Mm -hmm. which might be okay if you come from a wealthy family and they can kind of subsidize your job, right? Yes. (laughs) Which which has been a lot of the, the circumstance for people who are working in editorial and publishing. So what do you do? How do you create a diverse team Mm -hmm. in this kind of environment where publishing isn't exactly the highest paid career, just Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. Have you guys thought about any approach to that? Or Mm -hmm. Yes. And I've seen this trend. I've heard this story fairly consistently. In 2020, our CEO announced at an all-employee meeting at the end of the year that Hachette was raising the starting salaries in our higher cost of living locations, specifically to address this issue. Now, this was before I started, but this is one of the ways that they wanted to be actionable about being intent on making employment at Hachette an opportunity that more individuals of different economic means can take up. And I think it's an important step to being more inclusive and attracting talent from a wider range of backgrounds and life experiences. I think that this is both an issue that will help become more inclusive for BIPOC and underrepresented staff, but I think it's also helpful for attracting young people who come from a diversity of voices who may not be able to afford a starting salary in New York if they aren't coming from a place of access or a place of privilege. So I'm really excited about that opportunity and the raise in starting salaries. Having said that, I don't think that this is the end solution. I think we have a lot more work to do on this front. And that comes from ensuring the hiring and the onboarding process is bias-free and accommodates the varying types of life experiences and economic means. I think remote working is certainly helpful here. And I think that's another answer. 
we're certainly trying to expand outside of the publishing sort of ecosphere, if you will, and like looking at people who have adjacent skills, but would seem to work quite well in publishing. And all of these are different variables that we're playing with, but we are incredibly mindful of the fact that we know the starting salary can be an obstacle and trying to look for ways to overcome that. We actually have a recruitment subcommittee as part of Hachette that helps to figure out the best ways to network new individuals, whether it's at the entry level or mid to senior levels. And I hope to see some success coming out of that subcommittee as well. Yeah, that's really cool. So when you talk about adjacent skills that might still connect to publishing, can you give me an example? That just got me Mm -hmm. curiosity. Sure. So this is hypothetical, but let's say that if we were looking for somebody in the marketing team, we wouldn't necessarily, and again, I'm speaking very hypothetical because I'm not as close to this process, that it could have been the case that we were looking for someone who had publishing experience In this case, we may elevate the skills of this is somebody who understands marketing and also understands how to market to a diversity of audiences, understands the diversity of platforms, media providers. So what they're bringing is knowledge of how to market to a number of different audiences. And while that person may not necessarily have a strong publishing background, there's a lot of learnings that we can figure out in terms of how we need to market to a wider variety of audiences beyond what we normally do. So that's a place where we would consider a candidate that may not have been as strongly considered beforehand. So this is sounding to me like this could be even a great economic move for Hachette because to bring in people with competencies from other verticals that maybe tend to be even more profitable than publishing. You know, I mean, <laughs> it could be yes. a great experience yeah. to cross-pollinate and, you know, bring in some new ideas and methodologies. And that's something that I really love about diversity. Yes. Right? You get the benefit of so many different perspectives. Correct. Which really helps everybody, including your business. Absolutely. And that's proven too. So there's many studies out there that show that companies that have a diversity of life experience, of thought, of different backgrounds outperform other companies in terms of innovation, in terms of efficiencies, in terms of the strong cultural, cultural engagement, that it's a strength. It's not necessarily something that we should do because that's what someone says that we should do, but it actually helps the bottom line. And so I think that, yes, by opening up the criteria for who may be good candidates for publishing and thus creating more diversity makes us a stronger company overall because we're now looking at things in ways that we hadn't seen it. And that innovation will hopefully continue to position Hachette as being a forward-leaning author and marketing partner. Yeah, it's very exciting. And it's, I think it's really smart on so many levels, which is great. Yeah, thank you. So how do you think a publisher's choices around what to publish? So just now we were focused primarily on the team within the publishing company, which is mm-hmm. definitely an area where BIPOC people are underrepresented. Yes. And also underrepresented as authors. 
So yes. let's switch gears a little bit to that direction. Like how do you think a publisher's choices around what to publish or not, right? Mm-hmm. Impact society, you know, this mm-hmm. idea of this constructive discourse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, without question, there is such a deep responsibility for all publishers to generate greater equity and representation and diversity of ideas, period. And that's probably the reason why this role is so meaningful to me. As publishers, we are, the proverbial we, are the gatekeepers of this medium of books that generate public discourse and shape our culture and the conversation about our culture. And so the responsibility of continuing to diversify perspective, diversity of thought is so critical. And I think as gatekeepers, we have to be responsible for ensuring that a diversity of voices and ideas, both the authors, the editors, the marketers, the publicists, the art directors, anyone who is represented at every step of the workflow and throughout the publishing ecosystem has some accountability here. And I also think that this is urgent work. And I hope to use my role and to use this moment to push forward the difficult but necessary conversations about race and gender equity and representation that need to be had. I mean, can it be uncomfortable? Absolutely. Is it necessary? Absolutely. But if we're not having these conversations, which we are at Hachette, we risk losing this moment, what's going on right now, this moment of opportunity, where as an industry, I think most, if not all of the major publishing houses have publicly stated their commitments to making change and representation. And if we hold ourselves accountable to that, then that is that moment lost. So right now is such a pivotal time. And I see my role as an important component to this as a VP of DNI, but I think there's more to it than that because DEI has to be a business objective for publishers. It can't be a transactional piece. It can't be over here. It definitely, I think, has to be ingrained part and parcel of the business. And it's both setting diversity goals and objectives, but going beyond that and moving past the good intentions, past the statements and goal setting to actual measurable change. Not just saying that we are diverse, but presenting as such and looking at what real impact and better representation can look like. So it's really, I don't remember the right phrase, but I think it's walking the talk. And I think now is when the real work begins because we, again, the proverbial we of publishers have made these statements and now we need to back up those statements with output, with impact, with outcomes, with metrics to show. And I know that we're at the beginning of this process and it's going to be a long road, but here is where hopefully the publishers are looking at subject matter expertise within the DEI space to help guide them and say, here is what the measurable impact can make and continue or to be transparent about that to our readership, to our authors, to the public. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point because it's one thing to say, look, we have this percentage of BIPOC members versus what we had before. But then the next question, and probably the more important question is, what is their experience? Yes. Are they feeling heard? Are their opinions honored at the same level or those kinds of things? Exactly. And 
here's where we are now. What is our goal going to be? Is this good? I mean, I don't think anyone says this is good, but what are we going to do to increase that and by when? So what are we tracking toward is the other piece of that. So it's both here's where we are in the metrics and then here's where we want to be, which I think is the next step. And speaking of metrics, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) an article just came out. Was it today or yesterday? It was yesterday, in fact. Yeah, so our timing is perfect. Yes. So tell us about this diversity gains in staff and book acquisitions in 2020, this new report that just came out. Yep. So this really answers the question of what changes is Hachette implementing and what outcomes are we hoping for? And it's an update on our DEI efforts, looking at the data through the end of 2020. So it's looking at what we've done at the end of last year. The report came out on Thursday and it talks about the changes we're making and what we're tracking. And so a couple of highlights is we're seeing some gains in representation, which is great. And then we also looked at the work that we're doing across a number of different pillars. So if you look at culture and retention, you'll see that we recently launched seven employee resource groups, which is great to open the lines of communications for employees to share experiences and make recommendations for improvements to the leadership team. And honestly, just to create a safe space to convene and feel the sense of belonging. So that's fantastic. We have ERGs for a number of different affinity groups, which is fantastic. We also provided diversity inclusion training for all of our employees, and we're going to continue to reinforce training. I don't think we can have enough training or resources on microaggressions and unconscious bias in the office and how to be inclusive in your hiring practice, how to practice allyship. So all of these are trainings that will continue to roll out. And on the publishing side, some new and exciting developments, we launched a new imprint committed to amplifying underserved and overlooked voices, which is called Legacy Lit, which is a new imprint led by a VP and publisher, Krishan Trotman, who she was also mentioned in a New York Times article, I think over the summer, and she's super fantastic. And I'm really excited about that. And we're also doing a lot to increase our marketing support specifically in making sure that we're equitably representing our BIPOC identifying and other traditionally underrepresented authors. So making sure that there's representation on our website, on our newsletters, across social, there's strong efforts to diversify our network of influencers and contributors from bookstagrammers to our reading groups, to our audiobook narrators, to our other freelancers. Mm -hmm. So these are all really great advances. It's the beginning of our progress, literally the beginning. So it's not a celebration or a proclamation of success in our report or anything like it. We realize that we have an enormous amount of work to do in many areas, but the transparency is important, I think, or I agree that it is. And I also just finished outlining a vision for the remainder of 2020 for the senior leadership team with very specific target metrics across publishing leadership and culture in terms of what I want to do. So that's really exciting and it seemed to be well-received. And now that that strategic plan is out of the way, now the real work will begin. So I have a lot of projects that I have to get done by the end of the year, but they all ladder up and support a lot of the initiatives that you see in that report. So here's where we are. There's some great progress, more to do, and hopefully you'll see 
the results of that closer to the end of 2021. And we're excited to keep reporting out about it for sure. That's exciting. That's great to hear. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about some of the negative impacts of, because you just mentioned representation, right? Mm -hmm. That's definitely a negative impact Mm -hmm. of not having a more diverse base of authors, Mm -hmm. not having a more diverse team where somebody Mm -hmm. could look at somebody and say, hey, I want to be that when I grow up. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit more to how does it negatively impact our society when we aren't conscious of this, when we're not proactively addressing this issue? Mm -hmm. I think it was over the summer that I saw this article or perhaps when I was interviewing for the position at Hachette, but the New York Times had a great article on this called What It's Like to be Black in Publishing and interviewed Black people in various roles within the industry on their thoughts. And it really resonated with me as a woman of color who's worked in publishing for six years at another major publishing house before Hachette. And also for me, as someone who felt and experienced the negative impacts of underrepresentation firsthand, as did the people of color on my team that I managed. And candidly, we all left more or less for that reason. It was demoralizing at times, and I don't use that word lightly. I was acutely aware of the color of my skin in the office. And I was often a few or sometimes the only person of color in many senior meetings. And my voice felt quiet and I felt like I couldn't have a voice outwardly. And yet I had to project confidence because I was a senior leader of the team. But I think the unifying theme here is that it is a systemic problem And the same negative impacts of underrepresentation in publishing are similar to other places elsewhere where there are people of color who are underrepresented folks as well. It creates bias, it reinforces othering, both consciously and consciously, and it limits perspective. And then we lose perspective, which is hugely detrimental as publishers when we commit to publishing a diversity of insightful perspectives. So those are two truths that cannot be held at the same time. We can't publish a diversity of insightful perspectives and not be diverse in how we're publishing. And I guess that's an obvious, but I think that that is really the crux of it, right? And so we need to have that diversity of voices in our ecosystem. And so I think that what can be challenging is to push through this understanding and from the experience as a person of color, and to a person coming from a place of privilege or access. And that is what we're trying to reconcile with and try to understand with one another. And so that is a process and it's a long process of unlearning. And certainly the people that I've worked with at Hachette are very open and supportive to this process of unlearning. And I think that's great. But underrepresentation hurts the bottom line, as we were talking about. And there's tons of studies that show that diverse companies outperform other companies in terms of innovation and efficiencies. And so it's the right thing to do, but it also helps our business at the same time. It's essential for social and organizational well-being, and it makes us stronger and more accessible and more useful and therefore more valuable. And if Hachette can be forward-leaning in this time in terms of how we look to increase our representation of people, then great. I'm happy to be a part of this company leading that charge for sure. Yeah, and it is a process. And 
there's a lot of years that have already passed. Like, you know, it's interesting. If it were obvious, then this conversation would have been settled a long time ago, right? Yes, for and, sure. And so as I'm thinking about this, and then once you see it, I think you just can't work fast enough, it almost seems, right? Because it's like, oh, no, <laughs> now, now I want to fix it all at once. Exactly. I mean, I am not known for my level of patience. I want everything done three days ago. And it's tough for me to be in this role and realize all of the things that I want to do and accomplish. And I'm a team of one, really. Change is going to take a while and I want it to happen yesterday, but that is what it is. But at least we are all aware of it. And the people that I'm working with are excited and wanting to do more. So I take that as a good sign. And that is what I'm working from. First of all, have you encountered cynicism and either Mm -hmm. way, like how do you protect against cynicism Mm -hmm. at this time when we're really facing this reckoning of Mm -hmm. publishing and the past treatment of authors of color Mm -hmm. as well as people of color in publishing? Yeah, I really appreciate that question because I had to ask myself that when I was a candidate for the role and it was probably one of the most difficult questions I had to reconcile with before accepting the position that my role is sort of on the vanguard of this reckoning and publishing this moment of consciousness. And so I'm putting myself out there and that opens me up for a lot of cynicism. And I suppose that the way that I reconciled that with myself is that I face cynicism almost every day in my day to day. And so I can put that aside, generally speaking. I mean, I'm a human being, so it's hard, but that cynicism is motivation for me to keep working harder. And the other way I answered this question for myself too is I have this opportunity to work with Hachette and support Hachette, a big five publisher, in this transformational reckoning as part of the leadership team of a company that wants to set the bar in terms of this transformation by making authentic steps toward moving forward to improving equity and inclusion. I may very well be the first black woman on an executive team for a major publishing house. I don't know if that's true, but it could very likely be true. So my role- It's not true, it's nearly true. (laughs) Nearly true. Okay, who's the other person? I don't know, I'm just saying, but even if it isn't, just the fact that you're not sure that you're not also is revealing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. And I was having this conversation with somebody in publishing. And so these are my words, but my role alone is an accomplishment for representation and publishing in terms of breaking new ground. And I take my role in that purpose very seriously because it's more than a job. It carries so much meaning for me personally and professionally, just by being in the room with the executive team, there's a quiet power in that. And for people of color, young people who are watching this and are wondering, is this the space I wanna be in? Do I wanna stay here? Is this where I wanna invest my career? So hopefully my presence is a way to show them that yes, this is possible. And I'm cautiously optimistic at the work that the younger generations are doing Again, the reality is the change is really small. It's not going to happen tomorrow. And that's super frustrating for me who wants to do everything. But I do believe that I can make things better, albeit incrementally. So I am here in this role for cultural and transformation change, nothing less. 
And that means advances. It means not transactional work. It means not checking up the boxes. It means nothing short of creating more, bigger, better opportunities by and for people of color. And that is what I say when young people are asking me about, well, should I or shouldn't I, or what should I be thinking? And it is also those same people who inspire me every day. You know, I'm inspired by Krishan, who started her imprint, and Nana, who is a new publisher for our balance book imprint under GCP. And I'm inspired by the leads of our employee resource groups who are creating these safe spaces to have conversations and speaking up and giving me candid feedback. And I'm inspired by the young people too, who speak up for allies for these underrepresented communities. This is something that I didn't see in publishing six years ago and I'm seeing it now. And I also take that as a very good sign too. Yeah. And I'd like you to speak a little bit more about this younger generation, the millennials and Gen Z, because I think that they get a really bad rap. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people talk about how they are as employees, mm-hmm. frankly, even in my own boutique <laughs> publishing consultancy, I have benefited so much from their level of wokeness. Yeah. And they have been invaluable in catching mm-hmm. misrepresentations of history because the author and the editor <laughs> were taught yes. in a different way, right? Yes. And- Everything from that to listening to an interview and saying, you know, you you might want to maybe not run that episode because you didn't know what you were talking about. And so So a little bit more, because I just feel like this generation, first of all, is so unfairly maligned. And I think Mm -hmm. that it prevents people from seeing the massive opportunity of having these kids who've just been raised in a completely different way of accessing information. And I want to hear what you have to say. So deep respect for the younger generations. I say younger because I am definitely in the old, like gray hair, trying to hide (laughs) it place, definitely on the old person category. And before this role, I worked at a social impact organization for young people. And my staff was majority young people. And I learned so much from the culture and from the perspectives that they had, which was hierarchy was not something that they were interested in, for sure, (laughs) in a respectful way. Speaking up is something that they're interested in. And as I grew up in corporate America, I did not speak up. That wasn't something that one did. It was more about how hard you worked and staying quiet and saying yes. And so having somebody give me honest and candid feedback in a respectful way is so invaluable. I mean, DE&I decisions and choices cannot be made in a silo. I realize that I am the VP of DE&I, but I simply cannot represent the perspectives or identities of every single underrepresented, marginalized identity out there. It just, it's impossible. I can't do that. And so the younger generation, there's so much to learn and hear from and gather those perspectives. I think that it is invaluable. And I think that One of the things and patterns that I've seen over the last few years across a number of my roles is that by giving a safe platform for young people to feel like their voices are being heard and that they're being taken seriously, it's not that their voices necessarily count as a vote, but that their voices are valuable for informing how that direction happens is important so that they don't feel marginalized, they don't feel siloed, they don't feel sort of discredited. 
And I would love to figure out a way to work more closely with those younger voices so that as we make DNI decisions, we're doing it in alignment, in direction with the company. And that will only continue to contribute to an engaged culture. I mean, we're talking about Gen Z and millennials to some extent too, but being the most culturally, racially diverse generation of all time. And that is an experience that I don't have because I did not grow up like that. I grew up basically being the opposite. And so again, that diversity of life experience is something that we cannot take for granted. And I think it would be difficult to overestimate its value. Absolutely. I'm older than you, right? (laughs) And so we just don't have the benefit of the kind of perspective that that generation has Mm -hmm. and the kinds of awarenesses they have and the the kinds of things that they were involved with even before they got to college, which you're right. I mean, they, they bring a perspective that is invaluable. And I can imagine being the most diverse generation in particular around this DEI conversation that they have a particular role they do and it's important to them it's not a sort of a side thing that and i'm speaking very generally here but it's a square part of their core values and their identity and how they see themselves at work and what choices they make and so it's really interesting to see how people's identities are informed by the choices that we're making as a company and whether or not they want to be there. And I think that that shows a lot of principled integrity. And I really think there's a lot to learn from and adopt in terms of how we want to shape our culture. And that's another thing that just occurred to me when you said that is also, if you want to attract the best up and coming talent, that's actually a factor that this generation is looking at. Yes. What is the moral stance of this company? Does it align how they operate? Not just what they say. Yes. They actually do. Does that align yes. with what I want to contribute to? And they're doing their homework. So they know the difference between <laughs> authentic and transactional the too. The generation that could operate an iPad before they could write their name, right? So- oh, yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> My daughter's squarely in that. She has like a gamer. I don't even know what is going on in there and I can't figure it out, but yes. And they grew up with like things being on demand. So Everything it's like- Everything on their fingertips, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> now. So Great. yeah, totally, fully respect and looking for opportunities to work more closely with the younger generation at Hachette as well, so. All right, so this has been so informative and I am so grateful to you for coming on the Author's Corner to share about this, these incredible initiatives from Hachette. And I know other- of the big five publishers are doing their own things in their own ways. And I'm hoping that this continues to spread and grow and develop. But I wanted to just ask you, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you would really love to share that we didn't just didn't get a chance to get to or any final thought you'd like to leave our listeners with? Just keep looking out for Hachette Communications. We do plan to be transparent with our DEI efforts. And I'm excited to talk about what's coming up next. So stay tuned. Fabulous. Well, maybe we can have you on again in the next year and check in and see how things are going. I would love to do that. Yes. Wonderful. Keep me accountable too. That's good. <laughs> and it would just be fun to have you on again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For sure, Robin. All right, Carrie. Well, thank you again for your thank time. Thank you. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Have a wonderful weekend. You too. Okay, take care. 
Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.